Listener Production. I acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to their ancestors, past and the people present. I acknowledge that the First Nations across the continent have never ceded sovereignty and that the First Nations are the first lawmakers. Welcome back to another episode of Black Matters. This is a podcast that's about First Nations matters and most importantly, why they matter. My name is MC from the Hit Radio Network and joining me as she does every single week is First Nations advocate Teela Reid. It's always, it's the highlight of my week. It is totally the highlight of you know, my week. You know, we, we get to do a lot of fun stuff, but, uh, but I look forward to every day, I call it Teela Day. It's just the good yarns that we're having. <laughs> Teela Day. Something is finally named after hey, me. There you go. Now, if this is your first time joining us on Black Matters, thank you. Welcome. Uh, and if you're wondering, you know, who we are, why we spell the podcast title B-L-A-K, you can go back and listen to our previous podcast episodes. Whole bunch there, the whole back catalogue on stuff like acknowledgements of country, why we started the podcast episode today with one, reckoning versus reconciliation, cultural load, it's all there. Now, I had like a weird moment of reflection uh, this week. I was thinking about the story. Now, you, 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 might have, you might have heard this depending on where in Australia you are right now. Uh, and it's about education and what we're being taught in schools and how New South Wales plans to teach a bit more of, I suppose, quote-unquote, real Australian history in schools. Now, in a draft syllabus released by the New South Wales Education Standards Authority, they're like the people that determine what's taught in schools in the state. They're planning on having a a new unit on the era of colonisation, meaning students in Year 7 and 8 are going to learn about colonisation from the Aboriginal perspectives as a core study area, in addition to compulsory ancient world and global middle-age units. So I thought we could take a bit of time today to talk about, you know, what we think this can do, how it would help, and and our experiences and what we learnt certainly in high school. So I want you to I want you to do an exercise as you listen to this podcast right now. Just just think back to you know high school, year seven, eight, nine in history or any other class. Do you remember at all being taught or what you learned about Australian history? Teela, we went to school together. We we spent our entire high school together. Yes. Was this something that that we learned about? Well, I personally don't even remember like Aboriginal studies being a core subject. I certainly do remember though this feeling of injustice because I knew the stories that we were told at school were very different to what I was being told at home. So particularly back, I think back to primary school when we would really get taught about how Australia was founded and colonised and, you know, the differences between what we were being told in the schoolyards and, and home. You almost were receiving two educations. There was the education that was coming from the syllabus that we were all learning at school together and then there was that second education that you would have at home, whether it be your grandfather or elders in your community that, that would, would teach a very different story. Yeah. Well, what about you? What do you remember? I remember, I don't remember a lot of, certainly nothing from an Aboriginal perspective, certainly. You know, we might have learned about colonisation and James Cook and the First Fleet and, no, and, and like the gold rush and the explorers. For, for example, I'm sure it's common in, in a lot of New South Wales schools, our sporting houses named after 
explorers. Yeah, right. But in terms of colonization from all perspectives. Yeah, but did you have the language colonization? Like No, no, well, no, yeah. it was discovery. Exactly. It was never colonization. It was Australia was discovered by Captain Cook. That's what we were told. Exactly. I think that and maybe this is because we did grow up in a town with a very strong First Nations community. I, I remember happened a few times in high school, we would go to the national park that was just up the road or we would go to the old mission site that was just up the road and we would learn things, you know, like your bush tuckers and how to make damper and and what were the trees and plants that you could eat and how woomeras and boomerangs and clapsticks and everything was made and there'd be a little bit of music back and forth. But that that's sort of like the extent of Aboriginal teachings I feel that we got in high school. So we got some immersion into it, but not the actual technical reality of what it's like to live the consequences mm. of colonisation and, I should say, invasion. What you said, you know, we were taught Australia was discovered is so factually incorrect and right. so far from the truth. You can go back to the for referendum council report most recently on constitutional recognition that was written in 2017. There is actually a section in that report called Our Story and it contemporaneously documents First Nations oral stories of how they contest this notion of discovery. And some nations say in their oral history, as a fact, Cook did not discover us. We discovered him. And you know how? That's because the First Nations were sending smoke signals all the way up the East Coast. <laughs> to say, here they come. To say, here they come. Yeah. That was our form of internet. So and, and, and passing on a signal and a story that, hey, this is about to happen. And watch out. So I'm not an expert in the syllabus and, and how this process works, but we're hoping that it is something that is going to be taught in classrooms. I mean, uh, stupid question. This can only be a good thing, right? Oh, absolutely. When it comes to working out what is going to be taught and, and finding the perspectives and the viewpoints that we're going to teach this part in our nation's history, who defines that history to then teach in classrooms? You know, it's not just a given. I would expect that teachers absolutely just know. You've got to cultivate this knowledge and connect with the local community. And that, that kind of outcome of the teaching of the truth of our history could look different across Australia. You, you don't just pick up an encyclopedia off the shelf to read about the history. So much of it is oral history that's passed down from elders to younger generations, so on and so forth. How yeah, we, and we should value that. We should absolutely value their oral history. How do we get that? How, what would that process, I don't even know what that process looks like, turning that oral history into words on a page that would be taught in a classroom. How do we go about that? Well, it's making sure that the local education systems are tapping into and building relationships with the local First Nations community. It's both that simple and that challenging. And it's something that has, I actually think it's, it's happening already. And while we see that that's happening in New South Wales at that level with the implementation of that new policy in 2016, at the University of New South Wales, they adopted a policy around using the language invasion. Mm -hmm. And it's so important at the Sydney Law School where I have a residency at now, there is a new policy adopted you, this you, year. You, 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 she does it all. There is a new policy adopted that both in the bachelor's and the Juris Doctor programs that um, 
there is a, an obligation on the course learning outcomes for educators to teach the impact of colonisation and the cultural specificity and impact of the law. So we should be proud of these changes because they don't come by easily and it's happening across the spectrum. This may be a really stupid question and I apologise for asking it. First Nations history, for the most part, as we've now touched on a couple of times, is, is for the most part an oral history. Are there written texts anywhere? Is there anyone that at any point has converted these oral histories into written history? Of course. People have written books, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous people have told the stories in this in different ways. If, you know, have been paying attention to the news in the past week, Blackfella film creator and Aranda and Kalkadin woman Rachel Perkins won a Logie for her Australian Frontier Wars. Wars. Yeah. Look, gotta wow, rewatch it. Yeah, if there's look, if you've got if you've got some spare time this afternoon, this weekend, what's SBS's streaming platform? Whatever it's SBS called. SBS on demand. SBS on demand. I know we're not here to plug other networks and other companies, but if you do have you know, a spare couple of minutes, go watch Frontier Wars. That'll teach you a couple of things that I'm sure you didn't know. Trigger warning, it's really confronting to realise that there has been an active attempt to systemically erase First Nations peoples off this continent. Just ignore it, essentially. To not only just ignore it, but to brutally wear us down to the point where there are amazing warriors who led resistance against colonisation that we don't remember. Well, I mean, you just mentioned it. When the white man turned up, they just looked at the Aboriginal people as as savages, essentially. But as you've just said, they had complex forms of communication and were sending smoke signals up mm. and down the coast and they knew they were turning up long before that even got there. Yeah, it's incredible the way in which our ancestors communicated because they saw themselves as part of the land. Mm-hmm to caretake and be with the land. And in fact, there's some stories around the, on on reflection of the inner city of the harbour where uh, amazing matriarchs like Baranguru um, and the women were actually the fisher women back in that day. And if anyone's ever been to Sydney Harbour and you walk around this incredible harbour, can you not only just imagine the people and women who fished on those waters And Barangaroo was very sophisticated in the way in which she engaged with colonisers. She, you know, she was actually, her second marriage was to Bennelong and Bennelong was befriended by the colonisers and actually he was invited to be with colonisers and Barangaroo was, but she refused to eat with colonisers. See, here's two things that that if you're listening, I'm sure you you just thought Bennelong was a fancy restaurant under the Opera House. You didn't realise that was named after a prominent First Nations person. You just thought Barangaroo was a place where you could go sit, have a bite to eat or ride your bike around the front. No, no, no. Named after two strong First Nations people in this country. Absolutely. And actually lots of different words that we use in everyday terms where many are First Nations languages. You've said that you think the tide is starting to turn on this front and there is a willingness to see things from a different side and look at history through a different lens. I mean, what's what's the consequences of teaching Australian history in the ways that we have up until sort of this point before things have now started to change? Well, it's just been completely whitewashed. Australians have been denied the truth of our history. There actually is many non-Indigenous Australians who are really beginning to feel 
and understand that they have been sold out on the truth-telling parts of what they ought to know living and working on this First Nations land. And I don't think it's about when hearing those stories feeling guilty or or anything like that. I think it's just, it's important to know where we have come from because it's easy to move forward in that way. Well, it is. And it's just a really important part of understanding a sense of belonging to this Mm -hmm. place. If you are someone who prides yourself on calling yourself Australian, then you have an obligation to understand the truth of our history and to understand the impact of colonisation and invasion so that we can begin to build and repair this relationship that happened at the frontier, which was in fact a claiming of a land based on the myth of Terranalius, which also meant that... Can you, you, know, can you, so can you just explain what... Because that's something that has been said a few times on this podcast in recent episodes. Can you just explain what the myth of Terranalius actually is? So there was an assumption that on this continent, the land belonged to no one. And therefore, as a result of that, when Australia was so-called founded and invaded and colonised, the imperialists didn't even obey their own rule of law. They were ordered to seek the consent of the natives. You know, you can go back to white man's journals to have a look at this. That was not done. And here we are now in 2023 trying to reckon with that reality that our nation actually, it's not a settled nation. Australia very much was founded on this myth and lie of Terranalius and the land did in fact belong to the First Nations peoples or better put, we, as we say, are part of the land. So Terranalius is just the label given to an uninhabited land. Yeah. One of the ramifications or consequence of the fact, though, of it being labelled Terranalius at first contact, so when the boats first arrived, was that the ignorance of the fact that the land was occupied meant that they never attempted to engage in treaty. That means now we are left with this really complex narrative and situation for us to unpack. Because in other continents, for example, Aotearoa or New Zealand, they did something different there. They attempted to negotiate with the Maldi Treaty. And we now know that one of the founding documents of that nation is the Treaty of Waitangi. Here in Australia, they didn't do that. And we have a gaping moral wound at the heart of our nation as a result of that. New Zealand was quote-unquote discovered by the same people, right? Yes. Why was, why was it done so differently there compared to here? Did they rock up to Australia and go, this is a far sexier patch of land, we're just going to take this? Was New Zealand less desired? Like, why, why is it we were discovered, quote-unquote, at a very similar time Why is the history so different between the two countries? Actually, Australia is very different to many like countries. They did not see us as even human. That's how this myth of Terranalius really seeped through into our national narrative. They didn't see us as people, as anyone worthy to even negotiate with. 
it's pretty incredible because um, colonization here happened centuries after it was already happening on other continents. Yeah, you'd think they would have ironed out the process by then. There is really difficult grievances at the centre of who we are as a country as a consequence of not recognising us at first contact through the force of a treaty. Did, like they say, they just looked at the blackfellas on the beach and went, eh, we can sweep them aside, we don't need to worry about them. And I think that that has been the process of colonisation for so long now, is trying to put the Aboriginal problem away in the corner as if it's going to go away. And there's been an enormous amount of resistance across the centuries, and in particular now, um, to try and reconcile that wrong at the heart of our nation. Like me personally, I'm so proud to be Wiradjuri and Wailwan because it speaks volumes about what my ancestors endured to simply be here and for me to be here as a First Nations woman. It was never recognised. When you think about the taking of land and the ignorance of us as human, you know, it wasn't that long ago that Aboriginal people were considered flora and fauna, plants and animals. Hmm. I mean, we're on the right path, so it seems, with the New South Wales Education Standards Authority at least beginning this journey and having these this history taught in classrooms. How do we do this? How would you like this history to be taught? How do you see this happening? I know it's a big question. Mm. How would you like to see this happen in classrooms for future generations? Well, I don't think it's necessarily up to someone like me. I think when it comes to the way in which the truth of history is told, it really is about listening and learning from the local communities where in which there are already different First Nations because they are the people that have the authority to tell their story mm -hmm. and their history. And I actually think that children are already so far ahead of us in this. You know, while we grew up in a particular time period, you know, 90s and noughties in, within which I feel like we were denied the truth, the generations now are just kind of like, can we just get on with They're this? They're seeking the truth. They're seeking the truth. They're living it. And maybe, maybe the best way moving forward is almost a two-pronged attack because obviously, you know, for the education department, it's going to be very difficult for them to develop different syllabuses for every community. But maybe there's two ways to do it. There's the broader view of history and how things actually happen. And then maybe it's in your local areas, you, as you say, you tap into that local community, whether it be an elder comes and you do sessions and you learn about the local nation where mm. you are and, and how it impacted them specifically. One of the things I'm witnessing, I, you know, I run this uh, book club called At Blackfella Book Club. It's an Instagram handle. It's very popular among both First Nations and non-Indigenous Australians. And what we're finding at that handle, it's like so many non-Indigenous Australians are really seeking the truth of history and we share lots of books and stories. And, and, we tell stories in different ways. That's why, you know, I say it's not just in books, it's people, it's story, it's artwork. I just, yeah, I love the fact that there is an enormous groundswell of non-Indigenous Australians coming to understand the truth and going on their own journey. And it can be a simple act. It doesn't just need to be reading a book. My final question was going to be, if if you're listening right now and you're like, you know what, maybe, maybe I'm not as informed as I probably should be. And the only stories that I learned in school were dreamtime stories and the rainbow serpent and things like that. 
if there was a place or, or resources where someone can go and do some reading, but I'd assume Blackfella Book Club is a perfect place to start. Yeah, it's a great place just to start. And then, you know, there's lots of different links and resources and yarns and there's so much good theatre out now and there's not a lack of resource. It's about the will to want to do the work. Now, I'm not, I'm not one of the boffins at the education department. I don't know the first thing about building a syllabus and how you put lessons together, but, but we are about education on a very small level here at Team Black Matters because we believe being taught history from a First Nations perspective matters. We also think language matters. So each week we, we like to leave you with a First Nations word, something that you can just take with you and, and, and tell your mates about. This week, the Wiradjuri word of the week is Golbalana. Golbalana. Which means peace, to have no fighting and to know and understand each other. This Golbalana, you know, if we are striving for that, if that is the objective, what more could we really want if we're trying to work through these difficult issues, but at the end of it, we know that there will be peace mm-hmm. on our country? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the word of the week. I think that's the, when we're looking at truth-telling and how difficult that is and understanding the complexity of our history, peace is really the end goal here. To achieve Gulbalana, we've got to come together, right? And and hopefully this and, and, and First Nation history is being taught in classrooms is a really wonderful next step to take to achieve that Gulbalana. Absolutely. Don't forget, there's a bunch more episodes of Black Matters for you to check out as well. Why we do acknowledgements of country, the history of treaty and voice, conversations with an elder, massive back catalogue for you to check out. And if you like listening to us here at Black Matters, tell your mates, tell your colleagues, tell your nan, tell everyone to chuck us on. We'd appreciate that. And if you want to hear and support Australia's diverse and contemporary First Nations music, you can head over to Indigenous, the DAB station, and you can find it now on the Listener app. As always... Teela Day's been wonderful, as it always is. (laughs) So good. It's great to be here. Yalu. We'll see you next week on Black Matters.